You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled The Seven Last Plagues. Hello, my radio friends. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've found these programs informative and helpful. I know that most of what we hear, we forget within a few days. Advertisers know that, and that is why advertisements are repeated over and over again so that a particular name brand sticks in the mind. There is a saying that if a lie is told often enough, people will believe it. The same probably goes for advertising. But I want you to consider all this in a different way. If you are told the truth often enough, you are more likely to believe it. I want to tell you something that is totally true and you need to believe it. Can you guess? It is God loves you. Yes, God loves you personally. His love is not just for the human race. He cares for you as an individual. Whatever you may think of yourself makes no difference. He does love you. Today we're going back to prophecy, this time in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. God gave the prophet John the information while he was in exile on one of the Greek islands, Patmos, and he was a prisoner of the Romans. This was the place where he wrote the book of Revelation. There are a number of places where conditions on earth are described prior to the second coming of Jesus. These times are referred to as the last times or the last days. One of those references is in the book of Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5 and also part of verse 8. This is what it says. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Then it goes on to say that like Janus and Jambres, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds. Just to let you know, Janus and Jambres were apparently Egyptian magicians. The description I just read to you from Second Timothy is not a pretty picture, is it? Instead of getting better and better, as the evolutionists would have us believe, society and the individuals in it are becoming worse, more and more depraved the longer time goes on. One could be forgiven for thinking that we are in the times described in the book of Timothy right now. Just a few years ago, it was impossible almost to conceive that there would be volunteers from Australia who would forsake their families, go overseas and join a rebel military group like ISIS, which appears to take delight in butchering innocent people. There have always been people who've been refugees. But what we see at the moment is hordes of people fleeing from their homelands because of fighting, oppressive governments, rebel attacks, economic disaster, religious intolerance, lack of opportunity and a general lack of safety. The Australian government maintains a website called smarttraveller.gov.au to advise potential travellers of places where, if they visit, that there is a high possibility of being killed or taken hostage. Who would have thought that in modern times pirates would attack huge ships sailing up the east coast of Africa? Even in our home country, Australia, there is a lot of crime. Of particular interest is nightclubs where fights take place and some victims are kicked and punched mercilessly to the point where deaths have occurred. Also in Australia are the gangs, often bikey gangs, who run rackets and are involved in the drug trade. Each seems to have its own patch, and these sort of people become wealthy at the expense of the weak. I don't need to point out to you the obvious. You are aware of the evils prevalent in our world just as much as I am. Police and politicians are at their wit's end trying to maintain control of society, which often seems to have gone out of control.
one could be excused for thinking that we are near or in the last days as described in the book of Timothy. You could also be excused for thinking that society cannot keep going this way. Just recently, I was talking to one of my golfing partners who was not at all religious. We were discussing the refugee crisis. He shared this comment. The world is getting worse and worse. It worries me. If it worries people such as my golfing partner, it will be worrying many others in our society, our lawmakers, schools, the weak and vulnerable, the aged, and so on. What do you think God thinks about all this? I'm of the opinion that God is saddened because of all the violence, corruption and sin that goes on in this planet. It reminds me of what God felt back in the times of Noah. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 tells us, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness had become, and that every inclination was evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Revelation chapter 16 tells us what God will do before the return of Jesus. This section of the Holy Scriptures is sometimes entitled The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath or The Seven Last Plagues. Why would God want to harm or destroy people, you might ask? The key in understanding this is found in verse 9, where it states, But they refuse to repent and glorify him. Of all the different means by which God has over the years tried to reach people, most have refused to acknowledge him. Most have continued in their selfishness and sinful ways and discounted the claims of God and often even discounted his existence. They have refused the offer of salvation and have been happy to continue as they were. You know, God takes no delight in destroying anyone. After all, he is the creator. However, people must be shown where their refusal to honour God in their lives has led. They must be shown in another way that God is there, that it is he who has power and authority. In vision, John saw what appeared to be vials or bowls, and in them there was trouble. The vials or bowls were poured out on the earth by special angels who were given this task. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 2, 
It tells us what these things were. And it says, And the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. This reminds me of the experience of Job, who was covered in suppurating sores, which gave him no peace. This first plague will be a very widespread plague, as it will affect those who have the mark of the beast, but it won't affect those who have the seal of God. In the book of Exodus is another example of where God's power was displayed during the ten plagues of Egypt. And uh, these plagues eventually led the Egyptians to allow the Israelite slaves to go free. One of those plagues is similar to what will happen just prior to the return of Christ. In verse 3 it tells us, The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. This sounds like what has occurred in several areas in the sea around Australia. I remember reading about an outbreak of poison algae affecting an area of the sea off the coast of Queensland. The algae was red, and the affected area could easily be identified from the air. I don't know if the second plague will be algae, but I do know that the fishing industry will come to a halt, and that your order of fish and chips will not be filled. Now in verse 4, John goes on, and he says, The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. There is no indication how widespread this plague will be, but it will have a significant effect on life on the earth. Plants, animals and people will die of thirst. Climate change will then seem very paltry. We'll have a musical break for a minute before we go on. Done. 
about the king of Gideon You may talk about your man of song But it's none like good old Joshua And the battle of Jericho When he tells the great God Joshua's spear was well nigh 12 feet long And upon his hip was a double-edged sword At his mouth was a gospel horn a pretty lively song again by the English Chorale and it's um, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho just before the break I read to you from the Bible where it says about the third angel who poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood and uh, you know this will really have a devastating effect on the earth. But then again, in verse 8 and 9, we read of something else which is perhaps even more dev- devastating. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, And they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. First the fresh water turned to blood, and now the sun gets hotter. Many will die right round the world, for as you know, the sun affects the whole world. You know what a really hot day in summer is like? Compared to what the Bible says is coming, a hot summer's day will seem like a cool change. But does this bring about any change in the wicked? Not at all. They just curse God. In verses 10 and 11, the Bible tells us that the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Going from burning bright and extreme heat 
to darkness and subsequent coldness, it will not be a happy time. Yet those affected, although acknowledging where the plagues came from, do not repent of their wickedness. Now comes the sixth plague. It's from Revelation 16 verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl, or phial, upon the great river Euphrates, and the water dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. The most likely interpretation of this passage is to do with Babylon. Babylon was overthrown when the Medes and Persians diverted the water of the Euphrates River, the essential lifeline to the survival of Babylon. The river ran right through the city of Babylon. The invading army, after they had diverted the waters elsewhere, marched into the otherwise well-fortified city via the dry riverbed. Now the word Babylon has also been used to describe the false worship system that has developed in the world and all the commerce and things that go with it. In Revelation it is referred to as the worship of the beast and its image. It appears that those who have supported the system of false worship will will withdraw their support. The reaction to this is that Satan removes the veil over his devious tactics and goes into the deception business without restraint. And in verse 13 of the same chapter, Revelation 16, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. All this is a prelude to the seventh plague, where God finally destroys Satan and his followers, and all those who have been deceived by him and them. The Battle of Armageddon has been of interest to many Bible scholars for a long time. Some see it as a physical battle, fought out on the plains of Megiddo, which is in now what is called Syria. The problem with this idea is that given the number of people involved, the area is much too small. A more recent interpretation is that the battle will be a spiritual battle, the forces of evil against the forces of God. In Revelation 16, uh, in verse 16, it says, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, 
It is finished. This is the second time these words are uttered. The first occasion was when Jesus hung on the cross just before he died. The words were a statement that Jesus' death proclaimed the victory over Satan. Sinners could now be forgiven. Jesus could now buy back repentant sinners. The second time those words will be said will be when Satan and all the wicked people will be destroyed. It's almost like saying, let the race begin. Sin and sinners will then be eradicated. At this time, the world will be in upheaval with the forces of nature apparently gone mad. It is an act of God to clear the world and the universe of evil. Then sin and sinners are finished. There are only two sides in this cosmic conflict. It is impossible to sit on the fence. You are either on the side of Satan or on the side of God. To be on the side of God is victory, but it will mean that we must confess our sins and accept Jesus as our substitute and saviour. We must live our lives to be consistent with God's will. We must obey him and be faithful. To be on the side of Satan involves living selfishly and disregarding the claims of God in our lives. It also means that we do not accept God's kind offer of salvation. To not accept God's ways is to reject him. Said another way, it's this, he who is not for me is against me. The seven last plagues will be a fearful time for earth's inhabitants, and all the wicked will die. There is only one way to avoid it, and that is to belong to God. I don't know about you, but I want to be on God's side. The choice is either life or death. Won't you choose life? Well, friends, that's it for another week. I hope you will join me next time for Give Me the Bible. And until then, I wish you God's blessings and peace and joy. Thank you.